Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to After Work Drinks, your weekly dose of news, pop culture and Pinot Noir, brought to you by magazine editors and best friends, Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill. Hello, it's Oscars day. It's Oscars hangover. Yeah, hangover from the Oscars. I accidentally stayed up till, it's the first year I haven't worked the Oscars in so long, Mm. and because obviously it's weird timing being in London, so I had the night off, but I just ended up staying up on my phone and refreshing Instagram every two seconds to see every dress. I think I fell asleep just before it happened, just before I went to bed. I was like, I'll have a quick look at who's there. And it was just one e-news host. <laughs> She's so always I went to first. bed. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I know what point in the night this is and I'm going. <laughs> yeah. And I can't wait any longer. <laughs> yeah. I kept putting my phone down to go to sleep and then picking it back up and then seeing another Timothy Chalamet meme and waking myself back up. Yeah. But before we jump into the Oscars, I would like to talk about something equally as important. I know where this is going. Which is Love Island. So last night I was basically live tweeting, but on WhatsApp to Grace, everything that was happening. I was getting videos, I was getting pictures, I was getting quotes. Yeah, I think Love Island is one of those kind of cultural phenomenons that we sort of miss out on in Australia. Mm because everyone's too busy with maths and The Bachelor and you hear about Love Island. But, I mean, until I moved here, I wasn't going to stream it. Do they have Australian Love Island or is it just English Love Island? An Australian one started, I think. Like, I think it's on its 
It's done two seasons now, okay. but it's just not as good as the English one, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then there's an American one now too. But the English one's where it all started, and I was so excited to get into it. This is the first time they've ever done it in winter here. It's usually always in summer, and they go to Spain or something, mm-hmm. and now they're in South Africa where it's still ah. warm. So they can all still be in bikinis. <laughs> yes, which is <laughs> crucial. They're all in, like, jumpers. Yeah. Um, and it's just... It's it's a weird one because can you explain to me just the premise because I feel like I've just I'm so late to the game that I'm always too embarrassed to ask what actually happens. Like I understand that they couple off, but what's yeah. what's the deal? I still don't really know because <laughs> I so this is the first time I've ever watched it, but because it's such a big thing here, they don't really explain what's going on. They just assume everyone knows what's happening. And then on this other episode, which happened on Thursday last week. Everyone started freaking out because the guys were gone. And they were like, it's Casa And I was like, what is Casa Um, And it literally is. So, yeah, what happens is basically single guys, single girls, all really young and hot, go into a mansion and then they couple up. So they have these recoupling ceremonies. And, and basically you want to be the uh, – I don't know how it works, but you want to be the last couple standing and the public vote. So, you, the public- so it's like Big Brother meets Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah. So the okay. cup, the public vote, so you have to be liked and you guys have to be a real couple, essentially. Anyway, so then everyone starts freaking out because the Casa more had happened and I was like, what the fuck is this? And basically they just took all the guys out of this mansion and plonked them into another mansion nearby with all these new random single girls and all the girls had all these new That's single so guys mean. come in and it's the ultimate test of trust. Casa more. I know. Oh. And then... Um, it's re- it was really heartbreaking because this lovely girl, Shauna, and this guy, Callum, had been coupled up since the very beginning. And then he goes into Casa Amor and meets this model called Molly from Manchester. <laughs> model called Molly from Manchester. <laughs> and then falls for her. And it, you just, you, because you're watching it happen. So you know that he's about to come back and he's going to have Molly with him. So they cho- they either choose to bring a girl back or stay loyal to the one that they had in the mansion. And obviously, all the girls just basically stay loyal to the guys. And yeah, all the guys just freak out over these random hot new girls. So it's sad. Yeah, it is. It is sad because earlier in the show, I'd been, I was thinking, oh, this is actually so nice because all these girls would come in once the guys were already coupled up and they'd get excited and they'd be like, wow, there's a new hot girl. And then two seconds later, they'd stay with the girls that they already liked because they were more fun and more, mm. and they were more into them and they got along better. And I was like, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? That's and wholesome. then, no, yeah, Casa Moore. And Casa Moore happened. Um, but then the real, the real cute bit was when this boy called Finn came back and he's stuck with Paige. I'm feigning ignorance, but I know this because Izzy shoved her laptop screen in front of me on Friday at like 4 p.m. and made me watch the whole thing. I played it on loud. I didn't. She didn't even in have the middle of the cafe. Yeah, in the middle of the wing. It was. It was cute. I think I was missing, obviously, the context. A lot of context. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was funny because that bit was really cute. And another girl and guy stayed together and they were really cute. But then every time the screen flicked to Shauna, you, you're, you're happy. And then you go, oh, because like, you know Dun. what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Just cut to her. So, and then on last night's episode, I was kind of a little bit drunk because I went to Sunday Roast and it got a bit wild. But on last night's episode, Sean Paul did a set. Really? Sean Paul, yeah, did a set Paul. to 14 people. That's so weird. It's so embarrassing. It was almost as embarrassing as Eminem at the Oscars. I was about to say, this has remnants of Eminem at the Oscars. Just why are you there? It also reminds me of when, like, Enrique Iglesias does those weird 
billionaire Russian weddings. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why? Yes. You would get paid so much money. Yeah, they get paid like $10 million. Anyway, okay, I'm going to watch Love Island. I will watch it. You're so far behind now. It's on every single night, Grace. Really? Every single night. I can't night, even catch for... up physically. No, I can't catch up. <laughs> When I was when I first when it first came on, I left it for a couple of days. And Do they was bush up, on there? They no. So they actually would be good to do a proper episode on this at some point because there's been a lot. Basically, Love Island is one of the worst reality TV shows it used to be for contestants' mental health afterwards. Mm. Um, and to actually, two former contestants have committed suicide after being on the show and because it's so huge here they get this insane level of fame which obviously we just don't have in Australia you get 100k Instagram followers and that's it Mm. but here you're so 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 famous and they would come out of the show and basically when the show first started because it's been around for ages they didn't give any of the contestants the right amount of support there was no counselling services offered they didn't really check in on them um, and there was huge backlash yeah two two different contestants I wrote a big story on it for Marie Claire that's terrible a couple of years ago about how there we was need... as well in Australia I think with the maths contestants I think I'm yeah. sure we've talked about this before but yeah because it sometimes I think with these shows it's like a modern day circus mm. freak show how back in the day you'd just find weird people and take them traveling around the world we just do that now with reality tv yeah. It um, happens in The Bachelor all the time. You just get these unusual people who are nice people and they're just broadcast for everyone to just laugh at. It's yeah. just nasty. And that's why they get on it because they're just nice and naive. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so now they each get a day out of the villa so they can completely just go and be free for a day because mm-hmm. before it was on tw- cameras on 24-7 and yeah. they used to film them all the time. And so things like sex scenes and all of that isn't shown on TV anymore. Because, they used to. Well, they used to show, like, you could tell. I, I think you could tell they were having sex or whatever, and now right. it just cuts at night. You just don't really see anything. They just okay. go to sleep. Yeah, good. Um, which is normal and good. But, yeah, they used to show them, in the, like, in the shower and just all these weird things, mm. which they now don't show. Um, but I think, yeah, they do get it on. They eat, They can each – they get a chance. They sleep in the same room. They all sleep in, like, a bunk room. Right. Um, but then there's a secret hideaway that they can go stay in for one night. A bus hut. Yeah, a bus hut. Because there are more. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a recommendation to this week. Mm-hmm. So I spent, like, so late to the party, but spent the last two weeks just binging. I know this what you're going to say. I'm not going to say Line of Duty, but it was inspired by Line <laughs> of Duty. So This Is England is, like, this cult movie that I watched when it came out when I would have been, like, 12 or 13 and they made a tv show spin-off it and it's about skinheads in england in the north of england in the 80s and this tv show has this cult following and i just finally watched it for some reason recently because vicky mcclaw who's in it is in line of duty and she is just so incredible i just can't put into it it's probably one of the best acting performances i've ever seen from a woman. It was just astonishing. And so I've been kind of going down a wormhole of all her interviews and things recently. And she did a great interview with Elizabeth Day on how to fail. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know about her is she, so she acted in that movie and then for eight years, she just got no acting work and basically worked as like, I don't even know, a data analyst or something weird in her hometown and just did nothing and then suddenly was in this TV show and exploded and is now one of the most popular and in-demand actresses in England again. And having that period of not working 
has obviously given her this like really good understanding of success and ambition and all of these things that people aspire towards because she's like I wasn't not a good actress then people just didn't notice me and I'm not a better actress now Mm. I just got lucky so I find that really funny I was thinking about that off the back of we're gonna talk about it soon but off the back of Taika Waititi winning the first he's the first Maori New Zealander to win an Oscar Mm. but I was thinking about how Anna Paquin won an Oscar when she was I don't know like five (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then you would think that you'd be set up for life because you're a good actress. And she is such a good actress. But then just – and she's had great roles, but nothing huge But since. nothing huge. And that's the way it works because you – Vicky McClure in this interview talked about all of these things, which I thought was really cool. She talked about all these shows she's gone for and named them that she just didn't get roles in, like Peaky Blinders. And Elizabeth Day, and I'm sure everyone who was listening was like, what? Why, why wouldn't they hire you? You're so, you're so amazing and you're so perfect for that role. And she just said – I have such a good relationship with it now because I know that the factors that make me not get a role versus get a role are just so random that I can't let it bother me. And I feel like that's what happens so often. And I I loved it because I wrote a piece off the back of last week's episode for Elle about our relationship with ambition and how we're all kind of pushed to be obsessed with success and obsessed with succeeding at work and that being a workaholic is the best thing that you can do and that winning at all costs is the best way to live and now we're slowly seeing loads of women like Taylor Swift and um, someone even the whole of Elizabeth Day's How to Fail premise is about people saying actually success is kind of overrated or people make you feel like success is going to make your life more fulfilling but Mm. it just isn't I know and then you talk to people who achieve things and they're like I don't really feel very successful yeah, well, I think that's what we talked about the other week, last week, how we talked about as soon as you achieve something, you just think you need to achieve the next thing Yeah, because you need to keep achieving more when it's just like maybe we should all relax a little bit. Well, that's just us all the time. I think we just always – we said that we made a list of goals for the year and we <laughs> knocked out a whole bunch by January, but I don't even think we felt – no. That much happier. No. We're like, okay, well, what's the next one? Yeah. I was like, maybe those goals weren't big enough then. Bloody yeah. Hell. Or you feel like because you've done it, it therefore is not no longer impressive. Yeah. Like, oh, we no, do that all the it. time. Yeah. Me, like, me and you will look at a writer and go, oh, they've written for blah, 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 blah. And then they must be amazing. And then we've written for every one of those places bar one. Yeah. But we don't even think twice. We're like, well, if I did it. <laughs> it doesn't matter bad. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> if I write for the New York Times, I'll be like, that's obviously redundant. <laughs> How embarrassing for them. Pile of trash. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I love that. I love people talking about it, especially women, because I think women, you you feel like a bit weird as a woman saying aspire for less because it feels a bit anti-feminist. Speaking of the New York Times, this is an anti-recommendation. I've never had such a like physical reaction to listening to a podcast as the one we're about to talk about. Me either. So uh, on Friday... The New York Times released an episode of their podcast, The Daily, with Megan Twohey, who is one of the journalists who broke the original Weinstein story and a legend, um, and Donna Rituno, who is the woman defending Weinstein in his current criminal case in New York. So I can't believe she agreed to an interview. Me either. Well, she I think she asked for one. I was like, why? I was like, no one's expecting you to talk to She New actually York got Times. in trouble in court for doing it and then she told the judge that she hasn't spoken it to anyone in the media since the case was started and that she had no idea it was going to be broadcast um, and that a friend called her and told her it was out and a spokesperson for the New York Times told BuzzFeed that the interview was in fact recorded on January 28th, six days into the trial and she knew that it was scheduled to air on Friday. So she just like 
It's just bizarre of all people. It's the definition of pick your audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for a bit of background, Rotuno is known for defending men accused of sex crimes. She's bloody good at it. She's represented 40 male defendants in sex crime trials and lost only once. God. Yeah. And last week prior to the episode's release, she reduced one of the main two accusers in the trial who alleges she was raped by Weinstein in a New York hotel room in 2013 to uncontrollable sobbing during nine hours of relentless grilling over two days. And at one point, the judge had to halt proceedings after the witness suffered a panic attack on the stand. She sounds like a delight. Yeah. So she came on The Daily and was just, there was so much victim blaming that it's it's kind of a podcast that should have had a trigger warning at the start. Mm. because it's it was so intense in the way that she victim blamed and turned things around. Um, it's the same stance she's taken from the minute she took on the Weinstein case. She even said that Weinstein is the victim here and that women the women used him, not the other way around. She said that everyone worries about the women in a sexual assault case but not the men accused. Mm. And she said that women who go to hotel rooms should expect sexual advances despite... Megan Twohey intercepting it to say that Weinstein always conducted business meetings in hotel rooms. Some of the time the woman was sent there by the agents. Sometimes they were accompanied there by Weinstein company female assistants to make the woman feel safe when they weren't. Yeah, it was it was amazing, I think, as a because I think that a lot of people hold views like this because that's how this is that's why the world is the way it is, is that mm. people must secretly hold views like this. Otherwise, all the legal systems and all the way people respond to things wouldn't be this way. But it was so jarring to hear a young, educated, eloquent woman actually speak like that because it, everything she was saying was kind of nonsense. And yet she said it was so much conviction that it was, I don't know, I just found astounding that she exists in a way. And it was yeah. great having me and Toy here because she was such a, an eloquent kind of she stayed so calm through the whole thing I was trying to imagine what I would do if I was interviewing her and she would just stop and kind of be like well actually no that's not how it works and no how that that isn't how that works but what do you do in the face of someone who genuinely believes that a rapist is a victim yeah and the most shocking part of all came at the end when basically Megan had asked all of the questions that she was going to ask and then she said oh actually I have one more question for you um have you ever been assaulted yourself and she answered, Rotuno answered, I, c- I cannot call her Donna because that's my mum's name, <laughs> answered, no, I haven't. And then she paused as if she wasn't going to say anything else. And Megan was like, okay, all right, thanks so much. And then she goes, because I would never put myself in that position, mm, which is just, it makes me want to cry, even mm. literally speaking about it. Mm. When I was walking down the street, I had my fist, my hands were like this and fists. Yeah, I was in the shower listening to it <laughs> and I... I kind of knew it was coming because I'd seen the headlight and that my jaw still dropped to the floor. I was like, I just cannot, 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 cannot believe that anyone would ever say that. Yeah, never put yourself in the position. So essentially what, she's never left a padded cell since yeah. the minute she was born? Exactly. I mean, it's almost you don't want to dignify it with a response because it's so obvious the reason why she's wrong. But her insinuation is that every single person who gets sexually assaulted who hasn't been physically dragged into an alleyway has some culpability or responsibility for it. When we know that it's so overrepresented by people who 
uh, abused by an intimate partner or by a family member or by a friend and that they're in comfortable situations, which is why it makes it so hard to prosecute. But she's even saying things. I know that she she then clarified and sort of, because Megan, Megan said, you know, people being pulled into an alleyway. But she even said, I've always made choices from college age on where I never drank too much. I never went home with someone I didn't know. I just never put myself in any vulnerable circumstance. It's like you can be in a vulnerable circumstance without you knowing. You can be at home in your bed with the door locked. Yeah, alone. You know? It's crazy. It was just just mind-blowing. Obviously, it's mind-blowing, but I just... Holy The thing that's so upsetting about it as well, so that podcast I recommended a couple of weeks ago by The Guardian Australia called Witch Hunt, they did a fantastic episode, if it's the only one you listen to, listen to this, about the problems with the legal system and how it handles sex crimes and why it's so, so, so hard to prosecute sex crimes, which we know to be true. I think in the US it's like less than 1% of sex crimes actually end up with a prison sentence. And it's because the whole legal system is based around this idea that sexual assaults happen in this very specific way which isn't how they happen in real life and they interview Bree Lee who is an author and was a legal she had a job in the legal system I don't know exactly Big what it was author. yeah and she talked about how she went after a man who assaulted her and how difficult it was every single step of the way and how her experience in the legal system had taught her how to navigate it but basically she said that The legal system is set up where lawyers, judges, juries, everyone is under the idea that sexual assault is a stranger grabbing a person against their will in a public place and forcing them to do something they don't want to do and that no one behaves in a way that actually caters to the way assaults happen in real life, which is why we can never prosecute because the legal system is asking for CCTV footage. They're asking for witnesses. They're asking for physical evidence. And the way that most of these assaults happen is in intimate personal places where there's never going to be witnesses. And that's why all these people get off. And it's so frustrating that she's just... But it's also it's also that, the actual physical evidence. And there's also, because the way society frames these cases, people don't even realise what it is yeah. for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Because society says that... A rapist is a man who drags you into an alleyway. Exactly. And what they also said in this The Guardian podcast was that the cross-examination thing should not be allowed on victims of sexual assault because what you're looking for is inconsistencies in their story, whereas anyone who has any understanding of trauma knows that inconsistencies are actually more of a sign that you're telling the truth than a sign that you're lying because if you've been through a traumatic event, the way that your brain is working, the way that your memory is functioning, like none of it is working as it should be because you're blocking it out because you're blocking out the details of the event so so of course someone's going to be able to pull out tiny little holes in what you said that's more evidence that you're telling the truth than not so there shouldn't Mm. be a system where someone who's been through a traumatic event is then yelled at for nine hours by someone yeah how is that how are we encouraging people to come forward if if we're telling them like you have to deal with that yeah and as we've said before a lot of the time people don't realise what's even happened to them or how much it's affecting them for years and years and years. So these women who emailed Weinstein afterwards wanting a job or wanting to keep in contact, they, A, have, that's the one person who has the key to their entire careers. B, he's already done the worst thing he could possibly do to you. And C, you don't even realise what it is until years later when you realise, like, 
how much you've been affected. And also her saying she said something like, oh, Harvey Weinstein would never be in a position to tell a director not to hire a woman because um, if they they heard he didn't want them, they would snap her up straight away. I was like, I cannot believe you can put a straight face on as an intelligent, eloquent, college-educated person and genuinely say that to a reporter. There's several directors who've said on the record that they didn't cast actresses because Harvey Weinstein told them not to. Also, as if in any field ever, someone who is a respected whatever, someone who works a in a different... Yeah, industry, but just yeah. someone who works in a different company to you that is telling you that not to hire an actress because they're bad to work with and moody and annoying on set and made the production, halted the production process and was a diva as if you would ever hire them and think, no, that's just Harvey Weinstein trying to sabotage me. Like, what? What? Then he would have just hired her himself. <sighs> Fucking hell. I know. It's just insane. And I think it's a really interesting example. It's so much more jarring hearing it come from a woman because we... I think tend to think that the people who hold these opinions are exclusively men because you'd think women would be a bit more empathetic about how the power dynamic works in that situation. But it is this kind of thing that me and you have talked about before but not on the podcast about how women can be just as guilty of misogyny as men can. Yeah, or even worse. Yeah, and there's an interesting article in the Sunday Times style about it um, this week and it's just called On Female Misogyny, but it's this little essay about how we don't tend to look at the ways that women can sometimes be huge perpetuators of misogyny in the workplace or in media or culture. And she's writing, she's talking about how when she was young, she was getting bullied by girls, and her mum kind of said, oh, you know, they're just jealous. They're just trying to essentially tear you down because because as women you're kind of taught there's not enough room for everyone. That happens all the time. It happens all the time in our industry. I have a great story about that quickly, which is that one time in high school my friend got a really, 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 really bad haircut and her she was crying and her mum was like, the hairdresser was just jealous of how pretty you are. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's happened to everyone, all of us. (laughs) But also mums, like they just blame everything on someone being jealous of you. I know. But that happens all the time and it happens so much in our industry as well where, honestly, we've had so many conversations with people just being like, there is room for everyone. And I know that there hasn't always been, and I know that women constantly feel, it's this weird competition thing that with each other, which is just crazy. And someone actually said that to me the other day about me and you. Mm. I can't remember who it was. And someone was like, is there any competition between you and Grace? Because we are both fashion journalists. We're Mm -hmm. both basically, we write the same stuff. We've worked for the same publications. Mm -hmm. um, We're interested in the same things. Same age, both freelance, both living in London, both trying to make a living. And I was like, absolutely not. We've been so lucky with that, I think. And I don't know how we've managed it, but it's... It's because we just care about each other. We just care about each other and we never feel like... It goes back to that ambition thing, like work, getting one story ahead of someone else or getting one publication. It's not worth burning bridges and killing friendships for. No no job is worth that. I genuinely believe that and I don't understand it. And there is... There is a, we're in an industry that's all women. We've only had female bosses. Mm. We are kind of the minority in terms of seeing what it looks like when women exclusively work together, when they are on all levels of the hierarchy and where they are dealing with each other every day. Women aren't saints. They're not just all of a sudden better than men at dealing with power dynamics. They're not exempt from bullying. They're not exempt mm. from wanting to keep hold people down and hold people back or whatever. And I think there's this funny thing now where you see a huge amount of clicktivism, girl boss, empowering women, I'm a leader of women kind of thing, 
who are the same people that we know are notorious for bullying employees or yeah. for being nasty bosses or yeah. for holding people down from getting promotions and things like that. And I just think that it's probably this lesser discussed element of sexism. And it, it comes from the fact that women are taught from day dot to compete with each other, mm. that we are each other's adversaries and that working together will not help us. Yeah, it, it doesn't happened, excuse that behavior. It happened to us. It's happened to us so, so many times on a personal level. Even the other day, it was funny. Grace got me to sub an article of hers because we always just send each other. If we have an idea, we'll bounce it off each other. We'll read each other's work. And I read an article of hers and I was like, perfect, amazing, brilliant. Just one little paragraph here that deserves a little edit. <laughs> Small tweak, but flawless. Small like, tweak, but otherwise. Send it to the Pulitzer community. Brilliant. Literally. And Izzy will be talking about something and I'll be like, oh, my God, you should pitch that to someone. Or I'll say something and she'll be like, no, you should send this to someone else. And we're just constantly trying to amp each other up and get each other doing work or Izzy will throw work my way if she's got too much on or I don't know it might sound easier said than done but you don't we're such an example of the fact that you don't need to be battling with everyone for superiority all the time no lift each other up doll <laughs> love ya <laughs> <laughs> love ya hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. On to the Oscars. Shall we start with the um, most trivial part of the evening? Yes. The red carpet. Red carpet. What were your thoughts? It was a bit, I don't know. I wasn't like overwhelmed by it. Me neither. But I don't know what, sometimes I feel like this keeps happening to us where every single time a red carpet happens, I'll be hunting for ages trying to find something I love and then be like, there was nothing I really loved that much. I loved Billy Porter, obviously. Obviously. Perfect. Every single time knocks it straight out of the park. Timothy Chalamet just looked like he was going to high school, but perfect. Loved it. Loved his little <laughs> bomber jacket or whatever it was. It was like a satin It's track so suit. funny. Girls are just dressed in these huge gowns. And we're like, nah. Even on Love Island, <laughs> the girls go and get ready for hours doing their hair and makeup and boys just walk outside in the same shorts that they wore yesterday. And, and then that night put on like long pants. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I love Julia Butters, the little 10-year-old girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She really went for it, she, the coordinated pink look. She is gorgeous. God, she's so cute. And she um, brought a turkey sandwich in her handbag. She doesn't like the food at the Oscars. That's really cute. Except it was all um, plant-based, so she really ruined that. <laughs> Fussy little Julia girl. No. <laughs> um, loved Rooney Mara. Even though yeah. she does wear variations on the exact same thing everywhere she goes. They're the cutest photos of um, Joaquin watching her while she gets her 
um, pics taken. We on need the to red put carpet. something on Instagram of that because he always does cute, funny things while she's putting her. She's getting her photos yes. done. Love them. Um, everyone was losing over Scarlett Johansson. Maybe I just don't like her, and that's why I was like, why am I seeing her all <laughs> over my feed? <laughs> she did look really yeah. good. I thought. I think that she's an unusual, like checkered red carpet style history. So I feel like she really worked it at the Oscars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she looked, she looked <laughs> alright. Um, you loved Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig was my best dressed by a mile. A mile, ten miles. I couldn't believe it when I saw her. She just looked bloody amazing. Yeah. I don't even know what she was doing there. She and was forty nine <laughs> on the slides, and she was in Valentino Hawk Couture. She was yes. by far the best dressed, in my opinion. Yeah, and never seen her really go for it before. And then obviously we must mention Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, best dressed, just. She just by virtue of looked I fucking gorgeous. She's actually perfect. Her little bob and yeah. B on her Dior cape, she had embroidered the names of all the female directors who should have been nominated for best for what? Best director. Yeah. Queen. Queen. Zazie Beats looked great. She looked amazing. Who else was there? Who else was there? Saoirse and Greta had a really cute little woman reunion on the red carpet. I just love seeing Florence Pugh everywhere. Wasn't that obsessed with her dress, though? Yeah. Just kind Neither. of whatever. I loved um, Timothy. So Margot Robbie was getting her photo taken, and then Timothy, like, ran up and posed beside her. And then she, when she realized it was him, she just reached up and basically, like, stroked his face. That's so cute. I was cute. like, That's Do they know us. each other? I mean, obviously. Well, obviously. I would assume so. Just through. <laughs> just through the usual channels. Being in the same office, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but that was really cute. And then um, two of our favourite moments for the night, obviously, aside from Laura Dern winning, yes, was um, Parasite. Drumroll to Grace. Yes. This. 100% the drum Oscars roll. queen. <laughs> you can't call yourself the Oscars queen. I'm now the Oscars queen uh-huh. undisputed for saying that Parasite might win like a month ago. Yes. Parasite won Best Picture um, and Best Director and Best International Film and Best Original Screenplay, which is amazing. It's the best. It's the first foreign language movie to win the top award at the Oscars. So very, very, very deserved. There was that. And then just obviously a little bit of New Zealand chat. Taika Waititi won Best Adapted Screenplay for Jojo Rabbit, which I actually saw last week. Bloody brilliant. And um, he's the first Māori New Zealander to ever win. And because he's from New Zealand, Izzy obviously knows him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we move in the same circles. New Zealand has about four people in the country. If you're from New Zealand, Izzy probably has been to a party with you. Yes. I actually forever regret, like, in LA I was just so lazy all the time. And I would message Grace because I had so much work on. Yeah. And I'd message Grace and be like, there's a party tonight, but I just can't be fucked going. <laughs> and she was like, please go. Like, to every single party, she was like, please go, just Izzy. Go. It's in the Hollywood Hills and it's Taika fucking Waititi's birthday and I just couldn't be asked going. I was hunched over my desk in Sydney with a bloody <laughs> desk salad at 2pm and I'd be getting texts from you with my other best friend, Phaedra, in LA being folded into a box with Taika Waititi at a party at three in the morning. <laughs> but yeah, that was when Fades, um, I don't know what happened, but we were just with the, it was a Sunday night and Fades wanted to keep, to carry on. And so I text one of my friends, I was like, where are you? And then she was just at this bar with like so many celebrities. And then I looked over and Fades had one of them in the corner and I walked over to see what they were talking about. And she was just like, 
and then in nursing when you Fraser was like <laughs> last night I was talking to the flight of the Concords guy about how a tumor grows. <laughs> I yeah. was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't think he cares. But he did care. Yeah, I would care. Yeah. Uh anyway. So obviously great that Parasite won, but does not make up for the fact that the Oscars only nominated Cynthia Ervo for her part in Harriet out of every... So there was no other people of colour in any of the acting categories. And the BAFTAs, not one single person mm. was nominated. And it's just one of those things that... We've talked about this before and we've touched on it before, but I didn't realise how long this conversation has been happening. Mm. Like, Halle Berry is the only woman of colour to win Best Actress ever for Monsters Ball in 2001. And when... That happened. She got on the stage and bawled her eyes out because she thought that that was the door opening for other people. And then it just hasn't happened since, and it's been 20 years now. Yeah, it's it's ab- absolutely wild. And I think because it's only been a conversation on Twitter or on social media recently, people think that people have only started realising for the first time. But people have known this for, well, forever. Ever. But especially in the last 30 years, we were talking before about Eddie Murphy, how he had that famous speech in 1998 about... 1988. 1988. Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah, when he called them out saying that he only got a hosting, saying that he got a hosting gig, but if you could vote on that job, he wouldn't have gotten it. Yeah, and then Chris Rock made the exact same joke two years ago when he hosted because Mm. it's true. I think the Guardian podcast that you recommended about why the Oscars are still so white was really, really interesting because it explained the whole kind of system that leads to this happening because it's so... This year is really frustrating because there actually were lots of performances and lots of directors and nominees that could have been nominated and were nominated for other awards but weren't recognised by the Oscars. But they kind of explained the whole process of how things get nominated in the first place and how it goes all the way back to the Venice Film Festival and how studios have to put forward things that they think will get nominations back in March. So you've got this kind of messed up system where studios are not wanting to invest in movies that they don't think will then win awards. Yeah. And the movies that they think will win awards are the ones that have won awards in the past that have past Oscar winners who are all white or past Oscar winning directors who are all white and they're kind of making safe financial bets by just putting those movies forward. And then the Academy's pool of what they can nominate is then really homogenous and it's, the system keeps kind of repeating itself. It's funny because I didn't even realise that until really recently that obviously – directors pick up a script and then they need to go and try and sell it to get funding. So even Taika was asked on the red carpet, you know, was Jojo Rabbit an easy one to sell? And he was like, obviously not. Mm. Because no one wanted to pick up that film, a comedy about fucking Nazi Germany. Yeah. And you actually have to go and pick that up to sell it. So then because all of the other Oscar winners have been, yeah, exactly like you said, made by white men then that these other films don't get picked up at all. Yeah, so he used Netflix as an example and said Netflix put $160 million into creating The Irishman and obviously if they're putting that much money into it, they want it to get recognised at the Oscars. The reason they put so much money into The Irishman was because it was Martin Scorsese, Al Pacino, mm. uh, Joe Pesci, Ray Liotta, all Oscar-nominated people, but they're the kind of people the Academy loves, which are straight white men. So mm. it's it, breaking the system is, is difficult unless you've got people willing to put big financial risks, quote unquote risks, to promote people who aren't yet established Oscar winning people. But there's also this idea that what is an Oscar winning film, I was going to say quote unquote again, mm-hmm. is looks like 
is really kind of stale and specific in particular because we've talked before about how Lupita de Nyong'o in Us was fucking phenomenal. Joker, Joaquin-level performance of amazingness mm-hmm. and that's not considered an Oscar movie but Joker is. I don't really understand what the distinction is apart know, from the fact yeah. that it was made by a black man and is about a black lived experience in America. Yeah, literally. It's crazy. There's no difference. And then also we were looking at this kind of graph that had all of the percentages of like how many of the voters are women and how many of the voters are people of colour and it's so small but it's getting slowly bigger but it's still like 13% or something. Yeah, I think it's gone up by like 10%. in. But just literally just say, okay, scratch, start from scratch, everyone out, (laughs) pick 50%, 50%, 50%, 50%. Like how hard is it? I I just don't get it. How are they making these changes? They've made... Changes over 10 years and made it a little percentage higher. And something that they said in the Guardian thing, which I didn't even think about, which made me feel really sad, was that the only big moment in recent years we can think about where this kind of moment that we wanted to happen happened was when Moonlight beat La La Land for the Best Picture Oscar. And they just didn't even get that moment. It was just this schmozzle where two old white people read out what they assumed won, which was the whitest white bread film ever made, like Love La La Land, but... Yeah. could not be wider. Yeah. They just read that out because they got confused and assumed it just would have won anyway. Well, they, I mean, they were given the wrong but card. But the card said, like, Emma Stone. I know, La yeah. La Land. But that's but why one of them paused and she was like, what? And then the guy just read it out to not make a scene. It was the fucking guy at the back's fault. But, yeah, it was... They would have assumed, well, obviously it would have been this anyway. Yeah, they just well, it was, I was out of won. those two, but it was just, like, crazy. It's crazy. And then that, so that movie didn't even get its amazing moment that it should have gotten. No one who worked on that movie will probably look back at that moment and be like, that was a great moment in oh, my it life. It was so awkward. It was just so cringe and terrible. And that just seems to keep happening over and over and over again. I know, even when they try to do the right thing. But they didn't even try to do the right thing. It's so crazy this year. This year's wild. And I think that the point they made in that podcast, which is so true, is that this year it feels so frustrating because we're seeing great movies, diverse movies on the screen now in a way we never used to. And yet we're not seeing them in the Oscar nominations. But then exactly like... Sorry to keep bringing it back to Victoria's Secret all the time, but exactly like Victoria's Secret, the numbers were dropping off over the years, steadily declining in viewership, and that's happening with the Oscars as well. Mm. Steady decline. It's like just do what everyone's saying you should probably do, and then you'll stay relevant. Otherwise, everyone's just going to stop watching the Oscars because it doesn't make any sense. It's not actually representing what people want to see. Yeah. The good thing I read was talking about how there are so few women nominated for the director... Oscars and there's been five we talked about before five women have been nominated ever only one has ever won and the woman who won made a Iraq war film which is like the most masculine film man movie a woman could make it's like an action you know bombs and things going off kind of movie um and how a lot of the ways that females tell stories tend to be kind of human driven and a bit more delicate and less obvious and less about tricky camera work and less about special effects and things they tend to be very human stories and that because they feel effortless to watch there's this assumption that therefore they were somehow easy to make Mm. whereas it's kind of the opposite like it's much harder to to get that across and to take yourself out of it and your ego out of it and just let the story tell itself and how that kind of miss like missing the point of it is what's causing so many women to be overlooked which I think is true that's so true Mm. Frustrating. It's very frustrating stuff. I just don't know 
when it's going to change. And I don't even know if we've talked about, did we talk about Joaquin's BAFTA speech? Because that was bloody incredible. Oh, yeah, that was great. And I don't think we've recorded since then. So maybe we can insert that to end this segment. Yes. Grace will be doing that. Uh, I think that we send a very clear message to people of color that you're not welcome here. Um, I think that's the message that we're sending to people that have contributed uh, so much to our medium and our industry and in ways that we benefit from. Um, I don't think anybody wants a, uh, a handout or preferential treatment, although that's what we give ourselves every year. I think that people just want to be acknowledged and appreciated and respected for for their work. This is not a self-righteous condemnation because uh, I'm ashamed to say that I'm part of the problem. I have not uh, done everything in my power to ensure that the sets I work on are inclusive, Uh, but I think that it's more than just having sets that are multicultural. I think that um, we have to really do the the hard work to truly understand systemic racism. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I think that it is the obligation of the people that have created and perpetuate and benefit from a system of oppression to be the ones that dismantle it. So that's on us. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We actually saw the new reviews that popped up after mm. us basically yelling at you Begging all last you. week. <laughs> so thank you. Please keep them coming. As we said, it makes our week and us happier, which is a positive thing. Exactly. Women supporting women, like yeah. we just said. If you're a feminist, <laughs> leave us a review. Leave us a review. It's like the ultimate form of blackmail. If you attended a women's march and you haven't left us a review yet, you're not you're a real feminist. A hypocrite. <laughs> um, please follow us on Instagram, After Work Drink Podcast. We've got our own as well. I can't be bothered reading them out. And we have a Facebook group. Yes. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack. 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.